As many of you know, we've, uh, we've been going through the series of Refiner's Fire, and uh, we spent four or five weeks on that, and uh, I feel like God has really, uh, really spoken to us, really challenged us, and, uh, and I feel like we have really engaged God there, and God is doing a work that is continuing, and I'm looking forward to you guys furthering your journey with the Lord and just growing in Christ day by day. Uh, the refining fire of God is nothing to be feared. It's, uh, it's, it's nothing to shrink back from. As a matter of fact, God's refining fire builds our character, shapes us, molds us, grows us, and matures us in the Lord. It is one of the very things that we need in order for his perfect will and plan to come to fruition in our lives. There's a desire deep within us to want to be like Christ. There's a desire deep within us that wants to walk with intimate fellowship with God, and that fire enables us to do exactly that. And so having said that, uh, moving on to starting today, uh, I've really felt led of the Lord for the five weeks leading up to uh, Easter this week, uh, this, this year, to go into the Old Testament and each week over the next four or five weeks, I'll be going through a passage of Old Testament scripture that uh, I believe is prophetic and foreshadows the gospel, the Messiah and the gospel. That, uh, that that would come in the New Testament. And so today will be the first in that series of messages, the gospel foreshadowed. The gospel foreshadowed. If you join me in a brief word of prayer, we'll get into the word of God. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we yield ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you are our comforter in the place of Jesus, who has gone to be seated at the right hand of the Father and who's interceding for us nonstop. But it is said of you that you will lead us and guide us into all truth, that you will convict us of sin, you will convict us when we are moving in a way that's not right and not pleasing with God. You will convict us, but that conviction is part of the process that leads us to repentance, and it leads us into knowing and walking in all truth. And so we say, do your work, do your job, do your work in us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us through your word, in and through your word, O oh God. Holy Spirit, convict each of us personally according to how you're working in our lives. And, and, uh, and it's our job to yield to you and say, yes, Lord, in obedience to the Lord our God. So, Father, we just, we just commit to you to yield to you in the presentation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Revelation 19, verses 9 and 10 say, and the angel said to me, John writes, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So two things in this verse, in uh, verse 10. An angel is speaking to the man of God here, and the man of God is so awed and wowed by the angel that he begins to bow down to worship him. But the angel said, no, 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 don't worship me. Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And who? Your brothers who 
hold to the testimony of Jesus. I tell you what, there's, there has always been this truth, no matter what generation you're in. If you're going to stand in faith unto the Lord, you're going to neither hold firmly to it because life will challenge your faith. There are many that do not share your faith. And I'm not here to put anybody down because I used to be one of those ones that stood against the faith. I was one of the ones who stood against the Lord and rejected what God wanted to do in my life. God grabbed a hold of my heart. And I don't stand here today as someone who looks down on anybody. I stand here today as someone who is redeemed. Someone who is a beneficiary of the great love of God. Who, who caught his love that caused him to extend this grace that he didn't have to extend to me. We're not obligated to have his grace. This mercy that he has extended to me. I didn't earn it. I couldn't earn it. He gave it to me because he loves me. He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins because he loves us. And so the angel said unto him, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold or hold firmly to have a tight grip onto the testimony of Jesus. That is the testimony of Jesus. Is he's the only begotten son of God. Amen. He's the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And I know we all, we all love the love part. We all love the grace part. But it's just, you know, you can't have sweet and sour chicken without the sour. Right? So there is coming a day when the wrath of God will come and it will happen. And when that day comes, those who are not in the Lord will serve an eternity of damnation. That's the wrath of God. On that day, no man, no woman, no one can be saved on that day. The time to be saved is before that day comes, which is why he sent Jesus. Because it's the heart of God that no one has to face him as judge. But he'd rather we face him and receive him as our heavenly father, as our creator, as the lover of our souls, as our redeemer. And so I stand here as one of the redeemed who knows the life that he brought me out of, who knows the person that I was before he transformed my life. And I can't deny him. I can't deny that. I, I, because of what he's done in me, I will hold on to the testimony of Jesus because I know he changes lives. Amen? And it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So uh, I'm a bit of a movie guy. I like a variety of, uh, of genres. Uh, I've, I've even been known to watch a Hallmark movie or two. Uh, I know, I know, they're all the same, but... <laughs> but I really enjoy movies where the main character ends up fulfilling a, a prophecy about a promised savior who would redeem people from the dominion of evil. Amen. I like those. Give me a good hero genre. Give me a good hero story against all odds, doing everything in order to save those who are under the thumb of the dominion of evil. And I think my favorite is the, the Skywalker saga within the Star Wars movie. I won't say movie, I'll say movies, because it goes across. 
And with all due respect to the newer ones, the original trilogy is always Star Wars to me. Anakin Skywalker is believed to be the chosen one who would defeat the dark side and bring balance to the force in this movie. How many, raise your hands, how many of you are familiar with Star Wars? All right. Y'all could probably tell the story better than me. Help the people whose hands didn't go up, you know, (laughs) after the message. So Anakin is believed to be the chosen one. He's going to bring balance to the force. But young Anakin is deceived into joining the dark side. He becomes the apprentice of Darth Sidious, and he becomes the infamous Darth Vader, probably the baddest bad guy, or at least one of the baddest bad guys in movie history. And he ends up helping the dark side win the war and gain dominion over the entire galaxy. All hope was lost. The prophecy was broken and seemingly can't be fulfilled anymore. Or so they thought. But in the midst of this tragic turn of events, hope was born. A secret love affair between Anakin and Princess Amidala produced twins, Luke and Leia. And as adults, they helped defeat the evil empire of the dark side. I know y'all didn't come here to hear a synopsis on Star Wars, but trust me, I'm going to tie this in at some point. After defeating Darth Vader in a duel, Luke rejected the Sith Lord's command to kill him and join the dark side. And Darth Sidious made it clear, kill your dad and join me or die. And that's when Luke finally said, I'll never join you. And that moment set the stage for Anakin's, Darth Vader's, redemption and fulfillment of the prophecy. To save his son from execution, Darth Vader killed his Sith Lord Master. And I want to point out, it was an act of self-sacrifice because Darth Vader was only able to stay alive because of Darth Sidious. So to kill Darth Sidious would be to end the end of his own life. But he did it to save his son. So inspired by his son, I'll call him Anakin again instead of Darth Vader, he ended up fulfilling the prophecy by defeating the dark side and bringing balance to the force. And every time, and i got to tell you, I have seen that Star Wars trilogy, I've lost count how many times. I can talk chapter and verse. If it comes on TV, I'll watch it. I I, I bought the DVDs, and still, I don't care. If it's on, every once in a while, I'll be inspired to watch it because the Skywalker saga in the Star Wars trilogy reminds me of the prophecies in the Bible about a Messiah who would save mankind from the dominion of darkness and redeem us and reconcile us to God. Just like in the movie, they kept looking for the one. Who is the chosen one? When will he come? And it would have been nice if Anakin never turned to the dark side and he never became Darth Vader and uh, he used his powers and everything for good and everything was just neat and nice and tied up in a, in a tidy little boat, but it got messy. So messy, things got so messed up that it was believed to be the end of the prophecy. It could not happen because the chosen one, 
gave in to the dark side. Isn't it amazing? There's been many times in my life where I thought all hope was lost. Only to find out that God made a way, was able to make a way where there seemed to be no way. Because nothing is impossible with God. And so, like I said, today will be the first of this five-week series of the Gospel Foreshadow. We'll look at passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that foreshadow the Gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And we'll begin today in the third chapter of Genesis. Uh, I want to go through the first 15 verses here, and then we'll see what God has to say for us. Um, Now, isn't it just like human nature? Everything went so well the first two chapters. God created man in his image, all the birds and the creeping things and, and the fish. and all. Everything's going well. He's giving man dominion, everything. He's fellowshipping with God every day. He's doing all these things. And here we are three chapters in and everything breaks loose. It didn't take us three chapters. One day, here in verse 1 of chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of, the bo- uh, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. He's a real stand-up guy, isn't he? (laughs) The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, he's done asking questions. Uh, God really knew what had transpired anyway, right? As a a young fella, whenever I did some stuff I wasn't supposed to do and my mama asked me, what did you do? There was this moment of consternation. But wondering how honest did I have to be? Right? Does she, re- does she already know? Because if she doesn't know, then I can get myself out of this. But if she knows and I lie, then I'm in a whole world of trouble. And mama seemed to always know. Right? Well, God knows more than mama. So God didn't come up here ignorant of what happened. God calls us to own what we've done. He's like, what have you done? 
Not because he doesn't know the answer, but for us to consider our actions, the error of our ways. What have I done? And he looks at the serpent. Okay, Adam, hey, it's the woman you gave me. Eve, the serpent did it. And he looks at the serpent and says, no questions. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then the rest of the chapter lists a whole bunch of consequences that resulted from that sin. Adam and Eve is like Anakin in this story. The serpent is like the Sith Lord, Darth Sidious, tempting them, calling into question God's character, making it seem like God lied to them and, and you can't trust God. And, and if you can't trust God, then what's the alternative? Well, must, we must be able to trust it's the serpent. Before we get too deep or too deep into this message and everything, I, I, I don't want to get lost in the, the hermeneutics and all this other stuff. I just want to have a real plain conversation. I want to have I want to set a very plain, true to the heart picture. I want to draw your attention. To what happened here, everything was going well, but notice after they ate from the tree in the middle of the garden, Adam and Eve immediately faced, uh, experienced consequences. They became aware of their nakedness. And I'm sure, think about it, this is something that we know what nakedness is, all of us. But think about if you've never experienced it, if you never knew what the shock of that would be in that moment. It'll be, what, what, what is going on here? You go from clothes in the glory of God, you go from not even knowing there was a thing called nakedness to all of a sudden you're exposed and you don't even know the fully the ramifications of this. What does it really mean? Whatever this is, this is really bad. The serpent didn't tell us this. The only reason we touched this fruit, the only reason we decided to eat of it was because we were convinced that God was holding out on us. And we wanted to be like God. We were missing out on something. But they fellowship with God every day. And the result wasn't like God. So what did they do? God comes into the cool of the day to fellowship. That means there was intimate relationship between God and this first couple. Routinely, every day. They had intimate relationship, intimate fellowship with their God. And it was that intimate knowing, that intimate relationship that was broken. When they gave in to temptation, and sin entered in. All of a sudden, the presence of God, instead of bringing joy and excitement, it brought fear. Instead of running to their heavenly father, instead of running to the Lord, their God, they hid from him. 
That's what happened to mankind in the garden in their fall. What a tragedy. God created this man and this woman to have fellowship with him, to have dominion over the earth, and Satan uses this serpent to come in and beguile them, and it is all gone. They've lost dominion. They've lost that ability to intimately fellowship with their Lord. So I just want to keep it simple. It's broken relationship, broken fellowship. And that's, that's what sin does. Are you hearing me? That's what happened. That wasn't God's plan but that's what happened. And Satan thought he had a victory. See, Satan had already been kicked out. If you, I said I wouldn't go into the, it's, <laughs> uh, Satan, the anointed cherub that covereth, at some point he was so beautiful, he was an archangel. Worshipper, more beautiful than any other creature. And yet he got it in his heart that he could be God better than God. And he got himself kicked out of heaven. And he convinced a third of the angels to rebel along with him. When God made man, when he made Adam and Eve, serpent, the, uh, Satan thought that he could strike the decisive blow against God by getting man to worship him. And just like when Anakin gave in and became Darth Vader and the dark side, the evil empire, scored a victory and became the dominant power in the galaxy. It looked like they had won, but their victory was temporary. Their victory would not last. I want to, in all of that first chapter of Genesis, I want us to hone in on verses 14 and 15 because there is the foreshadowed gospel represented in those verses, 14 and 15. The first 13 verses, there's the fall. From 16 on, there's con continual consequences that have come from the fall. Man, woman, serpent, everybody's going to feel the consequences of sin. But in verses 14 and 15, the Lord says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Most translations say the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. But God is talking to both the animal, the serpent that represents sin and death, but he's also talking to Satan, the one who used the serpent to beguile the first couple. And he's speaking to Satan here in verse 15. I will create enmity. Now, I know most of us here don't like snakes. We don't like what they represent. We, there, there's a natural fear of them. But I, I want you to forget the natural fear of snakes. I want you to look at this from the spiritual perspective that God is speaking to not just the serpent that crawls on the ground. He's speaking to the one over the dominion of darkness. He's speaking to Satan, and he's telling him prophetically, there will be enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring. I want to point out here, uh, I love the ESV, so I stay true and faithful to the ESV. But I like where the King James says between your seed and her seed. Because it, it gives the right picture here that it speaks to an impossibility. The seed is not in the woman. The seed is in the man. So the seed of the woman, in order for it to be the seed of the woman, there's going to have to be something miraculous happen. This seed of the woman was not something that was to be natural. It was to be supernatural. It was speaking to the eventuality of a miraculous birth of a Savior. There will be enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So it speaks to a singular person, he, that he is Jesus. It's foreshadowing what Jesus would do on the cross. Satan would bruise his heel. He was beaten mercilessly. He was railroaded and imprisoned and he was nailed to a cross and he died, but he didn't stay that way. He rose again. Satan got his heel, but he bruised, and I don't like that word bruised because it really means that he crushed the head of the serpent. He made an open show, an open spectacle of Satan dominating and triumphing over him. And so prophetically it spoke that there is going to be a savior who is going to be born of the seed of the woman. What is that seed? That seed will be her faith, her yielding to and trusting God and, and, and consenting to the spirit of God coming over her and, and she being with child. Not impregnated by a man, but being miraculously impregnated as the spirit of God came over her. That's why it says her seed. When Mary said to the angel, be it unto me according to your will. She had questions. I don't know how that's going to be. Uh, I've never known a man. How can I be pregnant? The angel explained it to her. In the natural, it still made no sense, but she's like, Okay, people are going to have questions. People are going to have doubts. People are going to have suspicions. I might live the rest of my life under, under the suspicion of having been unfaithful to my spouse, husband. But Lord, despite all of those suspicions, despite all the doubts, despite all the questions, be it unto me according to your will. That's the seed of the woman. That, that's one part of the seed of the woman, but also Jesus is the seed of the woman. He's the product of her decision to place her faith and trust in the Lord and let him use her in the, in the way that he needed to use her to affect his plan of salvation. Just two short verses. I also want you to see that in, in verse 14, he's cursed the serpent. The serpent's going to, he's going to crawl on the ground. That means he was upright at some point. Of course, I play with my mind. My family will tell you, uh, I got a sometimes an overactive imagination. It was upright, you know. In my mind, it's like maybe it was like a velociraptor, like you see in the. 
and lost world or something. But if that's too much for you, then maybe you can imagine it being like the Geico Gecko or something. You know, something, something cute or whatever. But it used to be upright and it was made to crawl on his belly. But the connotation there is not just the act of crawling on the belly. There's also, uh, that also speaks to utter defeat. Have you ever heard a statement, something akin to, you know, uh, eat dust. I'm going to make you eat dust, right? That means I'm going to utterly dominate you. I'm going to defeat you. You are going to be face down on the ground and you're going to be eating dust. Well, that is the message to Satan. I want y'all to know Satan is eating dust right now. I, 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 it's, it's time that as believers that we know that, we believe that, and we act like that. All right? Jesus defeated him. We're not trying to defeat Satan. We're not trying to do that. That's already been done. Right? So we need to stand in the faith knowing what our Savior has accomplished, what he's done. He has won the victory. We're just walking in the triumph of that victory. Amen? And so Satan is eating dust and he will continue to eat dust because the victory Jesus won over him was total. It was utter victory. He goes around like a roaring lion, but he ain't one. Right? And so let's stop, let's stop letting him convince us that he is something that he's not. He's blustered. But for those of us who know who we are in Jesus, he has nothing in us. Are you hearing me today? And so we have just the third chapter of Genesis in the midst of this tragic set of events, losing dominion, losing that intimate fellowship with God. God sprinkles a verse or two right in the middle of that that speaks to hope that he has not abandoned us. There is hope. This is a foreshadowing of a gospel. There will be, a, there will be one born from the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. He may have dominion now that he tricked man into giving him, but there will be a savior born who will take that dominion from him and will crush him under his feet. And praise God, we are walking in the victory of that crushing victory that Jesus won for us right now. So it does not specifically state Jesus' name, but it prophetically says there is one coming. And he will be born, not of the seed of a man, but a seed of the woman. As it says in, uh, I want to switch over to Abraham, in Genesis twenty-two eighteen 18 says, And in your seed, in your offspring, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham. Was called by God. to leave his family, his community, his loved ones, everything he knew and it was familiar to go to a place whose builder and maker was God. He didn't know where he was going. God didn't tell him that. God just told him, I'll let you know when you get there. And armed with that little information, Abraham said, yes, God. His name was Abram at the time. He grabbed Sarai, his wife, and all of his servants, and his nephew Lot. And he obeyed God. And he got a promise from God that in all your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
Now, what I'm doing is connecting dots of this offspring that was mentioned in Genesis 3, verse 15. First brought up in Genesis 3, 15, continued in Abraham. And I want you to go to Romans 4, verses 13. Uh, we'll start in verse 13, and we'll get into Abraham a little bit, and then we'll begin to draw the message to a close. I want to talk about this offspring. Starting at the 13th verse of Romans 4, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. Listen to this. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I just simply want to say that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Romans 4 begins to let us know that we become the offspring of Abraham by faith. By faith. Whether you are of Jewish birth or Gentile birth, it's all the same. We got to come to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. Once we do, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we are heirs to the promise of God's salvation. Amen? Going on in verse 18, in hope, you want to know what faith is supposed to look like? You want to know what, how faith in action is supposed to be displayed and exhibited and presented? Then I tell you what, read Abraham's account, the, the account of Abraham in Romans 4. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Nothing's too hard for God. So he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now think about that. This wasn't about him. This was about his God, the integrity of his God, the faithfulness of his God, that if his God promised, his God was going to fulfill the promise that he gave. And no matter how his circumstances changed, he remembered who his God was and he remembered that his God was faithful to keep his promises. And I want to challenge you in your faith in the Lord. You know, th this isn't about the strength of your will. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to manifest something just from the sheer strength of my will. No. What is the promise of God concerning you? What has God promised? And hold on and cling to that. Because God is faithful and true. And he will do what he says he'll do. And it doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter how your circumstances change. It doesn't matter how bad things get. God is still with you and God is still faithful. He will, he will fulfill his promise. 
You know what? I don't, I, don't, I don't sit around worrying about the future too much. I don't worry about uh, how things are going to end. Things are worsening. Yeah, I keep up with it, you know, so that when y'all freak out, I, I'm, I'm able to talk about things and we can, we can discuss it. But, <laughs> no, I mean, I feel duty-bound to keep up with what's going on and everything, but I just, I feel an obligation to really challenge the body of Christ not to be moved to anxiety, not to be moved to fear, not to be, not to be moved to doubt, because what's happening has been foretold. This is not anything that should be uh, strange to us. It shouldn't be something that is unforeseen and, and, and unexpected because we were, told, we were told in the Bible what the latter days are going to be like. And Jesus could have taken us when he went to go be with the Father, but he says, hey, I don't want you to be, I want you to be in the world, but not of it. The world still needs the light. And Jesus has gone up to be with the Father, but guess what? We are the light. We are the city set on a hill. We are salt, right, of the earth. And, and, it, and we're going to have to show that light unto the world. So we can't be afraid of what's going on out there. We can't, you know, we can't be up here panicking and worried and so forth because our God reigns. Nothing has caught him by surprise. He's still in control. And, and he needs us, his soldiers. He needs us out there being ambassadors for Jesus. Because there are still people walking in darkness that he wants to see the light. That he wants them to come out of darkness and come into his marvelous light. And we need to be his agents who are walking in obedience to him. Vessels that are out there bringing the gospel message, holding firmly to the testimony of Jesus. That testimony that will help inspire and turn uh, the Darth Vader's of the world turn their hearts that they might be redeemed. Faith is strong as we are fully convinced of who God is and his faithfulness to keep his promises. I, I, I'm not impressed you know, with anyone who projects that they have strong faith. It's like, no, no, uh, I, I'm strong in my belief that God is faithful. But that's why he fully believed God. He fully placed his trust in God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. In those last few verses, but the words it was counted to him, verse 23, were not written for his sake, but for ours also. It wasn't written for his sake alone, but for ours also. I don't know about you, but my ears prick up when I see that. The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So at the command of God, Abraham left everything, lived the rest of his life as a stranger in a foreign land, trusted God that he at 100 years old and his barren wife at, at pushing 90 could have a child that they were unable to have when they were in the prime of life? Isn't it, isn't it amazing? God would wait till after physically in the natural, it's impossible for you to be able to have children so that there is no doubt that when he gives you the ability to have a child, who made it happen? That God 
is not limited even by our bodily limitations. Amen? He didn't waver there. When God, I didn't, I didn't get into this, but when the promised child was born and, and, and they got a chance to, to hold him, to, 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 to do life with him, to, to raise him, God told him to sacrifice his son and Abraham didn't, wait a minute, I waited a century for this boy. No, God, you can't have him. I can't do it. He didn't do that. Abraham yielded to God. And you know what he showed and demonstrated in that moment? He said, God, I know you're faithful, but I got, he had a conflict in his heart. What do I love more? What is it that I'm going to hold to? Am I going to hold more to the promise or to the promise giver? And he chose to cling, to hold on to the promise giver. That God, you gave me this promise, child. You gave me this promise. And so I will not withhold even the promise from you. You gave, you, you might take away what you gave, but it's yours to do. But Hebrews says that he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead. Even if God let him take the knife to his son, if he'd have let him go through with it. He believed that God would raise him from the dead. Why? Because God promised that it was through that child that he was going to become the father of many nations. And God is a promise keeper. He will keep his promises. So the thing that helped him go and walk that hard path with God to get over the emotional consternation of the, just imagine, I'm a, I'm a father of four. I couldn't imagine God telling me to do that. But the thing that got him through was he realized the character of God and the faithfulness of God. He will keep his promise to me. So either he'll stay my hand and he will provide another lamb, or if he has me go through with it, he's going to have to raise this boy up (laughs) because he told me that it's through this one. Hey, we tried it our way and ended up with Ishmael. He said, no, 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 not him. This is going to be the one. And God is faithful. And I want you to know this. And uh, you, don't have, you don't have to turn there. But the final scripture, Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, said, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We're we're not all sons of God. We're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized, and we're going to have a baptism here today. Praise the Lord. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And I want you to remember that if you belong to Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs. according to the promise. By faith, by grace, through faith, you are heirs. You know what? And that means on your best day, you're an heir. On your worst day, you're an heir. Don't let Satan slip into your garden and convince you otherwise. 
Don't let him cause you. Don't let the circumstances of life cause you to question the character of God. And forget the fact that even when we are not faithful, he remains faithful. I wasn't thinking about God in my younger days. I was thinking about sports and girls. And if I was at the church, it's because they had a lot of cute girls there. I'm just, I'm just being real. Somebody dragged me there, but I had an ulterior motive for going there. I was going to make the most out of it. But I had a praying grandmother, a praying mother. <laughs> and even though I was wilding out, they just kept trusting in the faithfulness of God. That somehow, some way, he was going to get through to this knucklehead son, grandson, nephew. And eventually he did. Not because I was looking for him per se. I didn't find God. He rescued me. Amen. And so, so I just, I want you to know God is so faithful. God knows. He knew that billions upon billions of people throughout the history of the world would not, that they would reject his gift of salvation. They would not humble themselves and receive him. But you know what? He still sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. He knows, he knew that the many times when I was struggling with one immorality or another, that under conviction, under feeling of guilt and shame, I would say, I won't do it again. He knew I would do it again, yet he still forgave me. He still was long-suffering and patient with me. And eventually, you know, he, and eventually he, he sanctified me in that area. So I'm just saying that to reiterate the faithfulness of God. He's faithful to pursue you even when you're running from him. He's faithful to love you even when you're not being lovable, even when you have no intent on loving him back at the moment. He's faithful to keep loving you. Those of you who know the love of the Lord, who knows the salvation of the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. And yet I challenge you afresh. You know, if, you're, if, if, if you've weakened at all because of whatever's going on in your life, uh, I hope you feel challenged afresh to hold on to the testimony of Jesus. He refused to let go of you even through the pain of the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured, he went through the cross. That means, in, in, it says, he despised the shame. And y'all, if y'all remember a message I preached months ago, despising the shame, he despised it. And what I felt that that represented, you know, it's like, uh-uh, I, I don't care. Shame, they're worth it. It's not going to be, there, there's no amount of shame that's going to make me get down from this cross. There's no amount of shame that I won't go through for the benefit of my bride, for the benefit of my sons and daughters. You can't mock me enough. You can't lie on me enough. You can't beat me enough. You can't, you can't crucify me enough for me to not go through with the plan of salvation, for me to not lay my life down for you. Speaking, you know, on behalf of the Lord there. 
And so don't let your, you know, don't, don't let our feels, as they say, you know, get in the way of truth and deceive us into believing lies. Let's not join the dark side. Praise the Lord.